want to start out uh, this morning and, and read to you a passage. It's not on the screens because um, I, I don't want you to read the screens. I want you to listen as I read it. And I know sometimes it's harder to keep up as I listen, so I'll try and read it clearly. Uh, but I want to read to you a, a passage that comes from N.T. Wright's commentary um, called John for Everyone. As he spoke about today, as he spoke about Easter, um, I couldn't find my own words that could speak quite as well as these could. So let me read to you. It says, Darkness on the face of the deep. The formless beginning. The chaos. The void. The beginning. The wind and the word. God's breath. God's speech. Summoning things never before known. Life and light. The first day. Creation. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. The flesh has spoken, breathed, brought life and light. New creation has spilled out all around him wherever he's gone. Here's the man. The sixth day, creation is complete. God saw all he had made, and it was very good. Flesh dies. Chaos comes again. Darkness descends on the little weeping group at the cross. Two men in the fading light do what has to be done. Then the long Sabbath. The rest in the cold tomb. And now, still in the darkness, the first day of the week, the new week, the new creation, the eighth day, eyes red from weeping and sleepless Sabbath nights, women at the tomb, perhaps to bring more spices, perhaps just to weep, perhaps just to be there. Because there was nowhere else to be, nothing else to do. Nothing else that mattered that would ever matter. As I read that passage this week preparing, as I thought about Easter and what we were doing and the celebration that this morning is, I also wrestled with the reality that I fear many of us have forgotten or perhaps never even known what it was like to sit in that moment. For us, the cross is a glorious sign of power, as it should be. But we tend to fast forward into that really, really quickly. It's a reminder for us of the sacrifice of God, of the love of Jesus. For us, the cross is the symbol of our salvation. Again, all of which is completely appropriate. But for those who lived this story, it was no such thing. For Mary and for John, for Peter and for the others, the cross was soul-crushing. The cross brought them to their knees. The cross was a, was a symbol that spoke to their misstep. Their bracket had been busted. They'd bet on the wrong horse. They'd chosen the wrong prophet. They'd followed the wrong teacher. Their Messiah was not who they thought he was after all. 
And alongside all of that that they were wrestling with, their friend was gone. He had died. He had been killed. And his death was unfair. He'd broken no law. The authorities, as hard as they tried, couldn't find any charges that would stick, nothing to accuse him of that would land. He wouldn't even respond to their attempts to condemn him over and over again. And eventually he unjustly hung between two criminals. As he hung on the cross, we're told that he hung on too long. Sabbath was quickly approaching, and they needed him to die quickly, so they rushed his death. And on the cross, between these two thieves, their Messiah, their teacher, their friend, their Savior, died. I don't know if you remember this, but over the last several weeks, as we have talked about the idea of Messiah, as we've walked through Lent towards Easter, I've said several times that there was this baseline understanding that everyone had about a Messiah. Do you remember me saying that? Yeah? Any of you actually remember what it was? No. Messiahs didn't get killed by the enemy. Like that was a baseline belief everyone had about a Messiah. Messiahs did not get killed by the enemy. And yet, on that day, they watched as their Messiah was killed by the enemy. Again, because Sabbath was approaching, they had to rush his burial. And quickly, they had to get him in this borrowed tomb. And and the stone moved in front of the door. And between the burial and this story, oh, there's so much I would love to know that we don't get insight into. But we understand that these people in between were broken, that they grieved. That they questioned, that they doubted, they surely wondered what had happened, what was going on, what had they missed, and they mourned. Because of all that they had lost, because of all that had been taken from them, because of all the questions they had of if they had been wrong. And then as soon as they could, we're told that they returned to the grave. But when they got there, something was out of place. Things didn't look the way that they expected to find them. When they got there, they found that the stone that covered this door, the gigantic stone that was there, had been moved away. And in our minds, it's round and it rolls. There are many who wonder if it was actually square, making it much harder to move it out of the way. But either way, the tomb was open. We're told that they peered in and the body was missing. Now, robbing graves was not uncommon. It was not unusual for that to happen, for for people to go in and to take whatever they could find. So it was understandable that this was their natural first assumption. The body had been taken. The body had been stolen. And yet, as they looked inside the grave, the burial clothes were still there. The, The claws that the body was wrapped with had been left behind. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense to them that someone would steal the body, but they would go through the trouble of unwrapping the burial clothes from it and leaving them behind. 
And as more and more of them kind of peered in to figure out what was happening, they realized that, that not only were the cloths left behind, but they, they were also neatly arranged. It wasn't a mess. It wasn't turned upside down. There was no sign of struggle or chaos or anything that they were wrestling with. This didn't make sense. It didn't look like a robbery should look. They began to wonder if something more peculiar had happened here. But at this point, they didn't all grasp what that meant or what that looked like. And again, we want to fast forward the story so quickly, but we have to sit at each moment Imagining what it must have been like to be them, imagining their pain, imagining their fear, imagining their anger, imagine their confusion. Imagine the suspense. The longer that you and I journey with Christ. The longer that we're connected to the life of the church. It seems to me that many of us begin to actually miss the power of this story. We love Easter and we talk about Easter. For those of you that are visiting as you look around, no... Nobody in the room but me is ever dressed quite as nicely as they are today. And I don't even always wear this anymore. But there's something about Easter in the way that we come to celebrate because it's Easter. And yet for us, there is no longer surprise in it. We're no longer surprised when we read the story. I fear that we're no longer amazed as we come to the story of Easter, as we come to the story of the empty tomb, that we're no longer mystified by what it means that a man killed on the cross is no longer dead. I fear that the longer you and I walk with Jesus, the more and more this story begins to grow stale in our hearts and our minds. It has lost its freshness. It has lost its beauty. For some of us, it has lost its glory. And yet this is the most important The most powerful story in all of the scriptures. This is the the climax of God's story of God interacting with his people. Everything before this was building to this exact moment. The empty tomb. Everything after this was changed because of this empty tomb. The dead Messiah had risen from the grave. The body wasn't stolen. The Savior had been resurrected. The crucified Jesus was alive once again. And we're supposed to get chills at the image, at the story, at the understanding of what it must have been like for them. That, of course, we say, oh, well, I I mean, I've read the story. I know the story. But if we sit in each moment, in these moments of desperation, of longing, of starving, for some of you that have walked through Lent and, and given something away, you've been building to this time where that that was released doesn't have to be released anymore. But as we've talked about, where if, if it's done its work, that ideally it is different now. Because it's changed the focus of your love to a love of Christ. This story echoes much of the story of Lazarus. 
If you know that story, Jesus had a friend named Lazarus and Jesus had died and, and, and Jesus came along and that's where we're told that Jesus wept as his friend had died. He'd, he was laid in the grave. Death had been there long enough. The stench of his body had taken over and he began to stink and smell decaying and dead. And yet the story tells us that Jesus brought him back to life. The echoes of the story are supposed to help us grasp that there's something familiar in the story of Jesus. And yet, even more importantly than that, the echoes remind us that Jesus' story is completely different than Lazarus' story. That in Lazarus' story, he came back to the same life. He died and then he was alive, but he was in the same life once again. And soon he would die again. But Jesus' story, on the other hand, tells us that Jesus had risen to an entirely new life. That this was the same Jesus, but that everything else had changed. That everything was new. That everything was different. That Jesus was alive and he would never, ever die again. That soon he would leave to be with the Father. As we've been talking about the life of Jesus, we've talked about the fact that Jesus came to teach and to model and to call us to live a new way. And the pinnacle of this new way is the way of resurrection. Easter reminds us that Jesus came as a baby, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that Jesus taught the way of the kingdom Easter reminds us that Jesus died an unjust death. And then Easter reminds us that Jesus rose from the grave. On Easter, we're reminded that our salvation is dependent on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in this death and resurrection that we find opportunity for salvation and grace for new life. This morning, I want you to hear me say that if you have not yet come to the place that you have believed, that's what it says John did when John looked into the grave. Up until this point, he'd walked with him, but when he looked in and he saw that the body was gone, it says he believed. If you have not yet come to the place that you have believed that this risen Savior can be Lord and Savior of your life, then today we invite you to do so. Today we invite you to choose to walk with Jesus. Today we invite you to come to know and follow the Savior. And while the Easter story is most definitely about this, and there's so much of this wrapped up in it, the Easter story is also more than this. The Easter story is also more than a story of salvation, of conversion. The Easter story reminds us that the followers of Jesus have been called to live a new life. That we've been called to live a new way. That life is supposed to be completely different for those of us who follow after the resurrected Savior. And we've been talking about this new way as we've talked about solitude and self-denial, repentance and confession, suffering and worship. We've talked about that what it means to walk in the way of Jesus is that we too have been called to take up our cross. We have been called to die with Jesus. But we have also been called to resurrection with Jesus. Easter. 
as our call to salvation. But Easter is our also our call to a new way of living. For those of us who choose to follow Jesus, this is our chance at a new life. This is the calling of Christ that you and I be willing to put down the life that we had beforehand and pursue a brand new way of living. Oh, and so many of us struggle with this idea. But it seems to me that the scriptures tell us that the way of resurrection is a new life overwhelmed with the ways of Christ. The way of resurrection is a new life overwhelmed with the power of the Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit which is most clearly shown in us as we begin to see love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in our life. The way of resurrection is a new life overwhelmed with falling deeper and deeper in love with God and with other people. This is not life as it was before with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. Which is what many of us choose to do as we come to faith. Everything stays the same but sprinkle a little Jesus in and I've got my bases covered. But the scriptures tell us that the way of resurrection is a new way of life. Overwhelmed with joining Jesus and bringing about new creation. The way of resurrection is a new way of life. Overwhelmed with the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, the cross was devastating. For those who were there, it was earth-shattering. It was mind-blowing. This was not what they expected to happen. And yet the empty tomb that we find was the happy ending to this difficult and painful story. But if we stop at the idea that it's a happy ending, we miss so much because it's so much more than a happy ending. In fact, it really isn't an ending at all as much as it's a brand new beginning. As much as it's a start to God's new creation. This resurrection of God in the flesh is supposed to change life for us and for all who choose to walk with Jesus. This was an initiation into the way of resurrection for all those who have chosen to follow after the crucified, the resurrected Messiah. This is new life. This is the way of resurrection. This is a new way of following in faith, of walking with Jesus, of walking deeply connected to God. Let me point you back to N.T. Wright, who says this. This one actually is on the screen, Jackson. This is the first day of God's new week. The darkness is gone and the sun is shining. Valley Jesus has risen. That's right. That's a practice that we don't always do. And once in a while I tell you we're going to and then I kind of forget and it comes back every now and then. And, but nobody remembers what to do. We need Amy back there because Amy is really good at remembering exactly how the rhythm of it goes and reminding me. But they're in New York today. Valley Jesus has risen. 
So if you didn't hear Bob, the part that you say after that is he has risen indeed. Jesus has risen. You've almost got it. But let's pretend that you're good Baptist and say it a little bit louder. Jesus has risen. Good job. And when Amy's here, she says he has risen indeed. Hallelujah. Which is really a great addition to what we're doing there. Remembering that on Palm Sunday, they shouted hallelujah. They shouted, welcome to the throne. Welcome to the kingdom of David. Come and take this throne. And then they walked through the week and they suffered through the week and they came to Good Friday and they were broken hearted. But then the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen. And when Jesus had risen, it changed everything for them. They walked into a new way of living. And the exclamation point on the end is that this new way of living was the way of resurrection. So today on Easter Sunday, as you think about the idea of salvation and how Easter, yes, most definitely calls us to a place of salvation, of first-time decisions to walk with Jesus, that it also calls us beyond that. That whether you've been walking with Jesus for a day or a week or a year or 60 years, we have been called to a new way of living. And each and every day we must choose that way again. Because this is the way of resurrection. Valley, Jesus is risen. Wow. Be careful. Now we're bordering on not Baptist anymore. Which is okay too. So the question we must Ask on Easter. Will you choose to walk in this new way? Will you follow Jesus in a new way of living that is completely overwhelmed by the love of God, the grace and salvation of Jesus, the power of His Holy Spirit? I'm going to pray for you. And then after we pray, we're going to do something that is a little bit different from what we always, or from what we typically do. Uh, It's not uncommon that on the first Sunday of the month we would celebrate the Lord's Supper, but we want to do that today. Not just because it's the first Sunday of the month, but also because it's Easter. And on this special day, as we take the Lord's Supper together, we're going to do it in a way that is different from what we typically do month after month or on Sunday mornings, in that we're going to take it um, with a shared loaf. And we're going to take it with a shared cup. And there are more of you in here than there are on some Sundays, so there might be a little confusion in the midst of it, and that's okay. It'll work. We'll get there. But if you would like to come and make your public profession, your public statement, your public confession that you desire to walk in the way of resurrection, then we invite you to come. Whether you're part of Valley typically or not is irrelevant. Everyone is welcome at the table of Christ. But know that as you come, you are proclaiming that you desire to live a brand new way of life transformed by the risen Savior. So you'll come and you'll tear off a piece of the bread and you'll dip it in the shared cup. And then you'll take the bread. Callie will be here with me and each time you do so we will speak over you 
the powerful words, the reminders that this is the body of Christ broken for you and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then afterwards we will be reminded as we sing songs of worship that the crucified Savior has risen from the grave. And that that changes everything for us. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. We are so thankful for what you have done on our behalf. God, we give thanks. For your life your birth for the sacrifice of the cross for the empty tomb you left behind and on this Easter Sunday it is my prayer that each and every one of us would take the opportunity to commit that we desire to live in a brand new way. A way transformed by the empty tomb. A way changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we desire to live the way of resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray.